Hello and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. So, I have a question for you. Did you know that for women, there are actually three vocations that you could be called to? You could be called to marriage and marry the love of your life, or you could be called to a religious order to be a sister or a nun, or you could be called to consecrate yourself totally to Jesus Christ and be a consecrated virgin. This is what Erin Kinsella learned through her vocation journey with the Lord. When it seemed like God had closed all the doors on the path she wanted to pursue, the Lord opened up a new door for her. And now she serves the church through her work as a campus minister and through the vocation of consecrated virginity. In this episode, we talk to Erin about her background in science, her beautiful and amazing vocation story, and what it means to image the church in the world as a bride of Christ. Hello, Erin. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I am well today. I am healthy and happy. (laughs) And how are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So good. Okay. So I guess first and foremost, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Yes, so my name is Erin Kinsella. I'm the Director of Campus Ministry at the Newman Centre at the University of Toronto. So basically, I'm responsible with our pastor for overseeing all of the things that are part of our chaplaincy, so student leadership and outreach to campus and things like that. But mainly my focus or the responsibilities that I have are on evangelization and discipleship, Mm -hmm. so helping students who come to grow in their relationship with the Lord and to understand their foundational identity, which is to proclaim the gospel and invite others into this beautiful relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, like Toronto is such a large city. I've had the privilege of visiting a couple times from Vancouver, and I've walked around University of Toronto campus. And Mm -hmm. I know that there's multiple, but in itself, it's such a big institution. Like, how do you find working in ministry in such a big, obviously very secular campus as well? Yeah, it's really interesting because the the university itself here, just on the downtown campus, has almost 70,000 students, which is like massive, right? Yeah. Um, so I find that that it's really interesting to be here in this kind of, we have a house. So it's been the Newman Center, this house that we've had since 1922, when it was purchased by the founder of Laura Secord Chocolates, actually. So I like to say that chocolate bought the Newman Center, which is, (laughs) makes me happy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so it's been the Newman Chaplaincy since that time, but the university has kind of grown up around the house and it's been really lovely it's a privilege and it's a challenge to be able to be on a secular campus and to be the Catholic chaplaincy here. But also the Newman Center is, of course, modeled after now Saint um, John Henry Cardinal Newman. And so there's this big mission of faith and reason and understanding that our faith as Catholics is reasonable. Like it's based Mm -hmm. in reason that God has given us this gift of reason so that we can use it to understand and to know and to love and follow God more. 
And so then that works well with a secular campus because then we're able to actually have those kind of conversations with people who might think that religion is just about blindly following something or that is actually separated from reason. Yeah, so it's both like a blessing to be able to have that and a big challenge at the same time. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure that being in the position that you are in now, uh, you are directing that ministry. I'm sure that now you must be super on fire for it. And it's something that's a big part of your life. And I was wondering if you could share what it might have been like for you prior. So how did you come to be where you are now? And what has that journey with God been like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically, I was born into a Catholic family. So my mom was Catholic, raised Catholic. My dad actually joined the Catholic Church. He became Catholic when I was about two years old. And so I always did kind of catechism and we went to church every week and it was just a regular part of life. But then for me, it was kind of like, I never really had an encounter with God, like a deep encounter personally with the Lord. So during high school and university, I kind of lived a double life. So I went to some youth retreats and things like that and had this community of young people. But then also at the same time, I was kind of a regular teenager, quote unquote, in terms of going out and partying or especially university was a time for me where I was very far from the church and very far from what I now understand is freedom, like what freedom looks like. And so I was looking for all of these things like joy and peace and everything that the human heart really longs for. But I was looking for it in all of these temporary things that are you know, like one party here or relationship here or all of those things that just pass away. And I did my undergrad in uh, microbiology and immunology. So I went down to Texas to do some grad work in experimental pathology. And I was like super excited for that. And it was kind of like the level four lab where you would wear the big blue space suits. And the virus I was working with was called Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever virus. So, you know, it was like very exciting. I kind of wanted to save the world from deadly viruses and things like that. But while I was down in Texas, I had some Like there was some difficulties in relationship with my supervisor and questions about whether I should continue there. And I ended up actually becoming very depressed and really struggling a lot with depression. And so everything kind of fell apart there. And while I was still down in Texas, I started going back to church and I hadn't been for like regularly at all for a number of years, pretty much throughout my whole time at university. And the reason I went back was because it kind of seemed like the only familiar thing. Like it was the only familiar thing in my life that had some kind of comfort. And then I decided to leave Texas. So I decided to kind of leave everything. So leave the program and all of these kind of dreams to be a, you know, world famous virologist and travel the world curing people of deadly diseases. And so I came back from there very broken and very much thinking that I had no idea what my life was about or where it was going. And so I came back to Orangeville, Ontario, which is where my parents were living at the time. And uh, I got involved in the youth group there because they, on the second day, I think that I was home, there was a ring of the doorbell. And so (laughs) I opened the door and there was nobody there. There was just a plate of cookies and muffins and stuff like that that's and a note that said hey Aaron we heard that you're home looking forward to hanging out with you love St. Timothy's life team 
And I know it was so beautiful. But at the time I was like, oh, that's so weird. Who are these people? And why are they sending me this plate of stuff? But at the same time, there was something really intriguing about that for me. And they were actually the only people that I knew in town. So I started kind of hanging out with them and the young adults who were part of the core team. And I started learning all of these things about the faith that I had never learned before, like about the human person and the meaning of the human person and even the moral teachings of the church and what we're called to and what a relationship with God looks like. And eventually we had this life night on confession. And I was like, oh, maybe I should go to confession. It's been a long while. So I went, but I totally chickened out and made up some sins and didn't say anything that was real. But then for the next couple of weeks, it was like my conscience would not rest. And I knew that I had to go back and kind of do it, really give everything to the Lord and confess, make a really honest confession. So I went on a Saturday before mass because I did not realize that you can make an appointment with a priest for confession. <laughs> so poor Father Brian. It's like 15 minutes before mass. I'm like, hey, Father, can I go to confession? And he said, oh, sure, you're not too big a sinner. Like, just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, oh, little do you know, Father. But I was so, so nervous. But I went into that confessional and it was like I just word vomited everything like every sin anything that was separating me from the lord and when he gave the words of absolution for me it was like a saint paul conversion like i felt this weight lifting off of my shoulders in that moment i met god face to face i knew in the depths of me that he was real that i was loved that i was forgiven it was like being able to see life through this whole different lens clearly for the first time. After that, I was still working in science for a little while, but that was really the start of my prayer life, of my kind of intentional discipleship. And so I started working in ministry when I moved to Ottawa as a youth minister. And then I discerned with a group of sisters for a little while while I was a youth minister. And then I did a year of Net Ministries of Canada. And then I went back to Ottawa, worked there for a little while, went to Winnipeg, was the director of youth and young adult ministry for the Archdiocese of Winnipeg. And then a friend of mine <laughs> sent a text to me saying, hey, the Newman Center is looking for a campus minister. I think you'd be really great for it. I know your family's in Ontario, so I know you want to move closer to home. So you should apply. So I applied the day that the posting closed. And then three weeks later, I was here at Newman. So that's kind of the, the abridged short version of, <laughs> of the Lord's workings in Aaron Kinsella's heart. Wow. What's so striking to me is thinking about what you were explaining earlier about Newman and the whole faith and reason going together. And I find it so captivating that you did your undergrad in science and you had all these desires to go into a field that I know for me personally, when I think about science and faith, sometimes they can, especially in secular media, they talk about it butting heads and how they can't coexist. And just seeing where you are now and how almost coincidental, but at the same time, like you said, it's it's the Lord's work that he's led you through all these paths. And now here you are doing ministry in this chapter of your life. That's so incredible. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's been beautiful to me. I think that actually helped me come back to the faith, the fact that I had this background in science because mm. reason and intellect and the way the human person processes an understanding of our world and how things are designed and the, the intricacies of 
like the human body and of nature and of like, I mean, viruses even. They're so intelligent almost, even though obviously they're not thinking beings. So I think that background actually helped me come back into the church. And because the church has such a, a rich understanding and intellectual history and real integration between faith and reason, discovering that that was actually present in the church was something that paved the way for me to come back to the church, to come back to the Lord. And as someone who is not in science at all, can't do science, I just like (laughs) tip my hat to all the scientists out there, all the folks who have a background in science. It really is a gift and that's amazing. That's how I feel about accountants. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Oh my goodness. Thank thank you, Lord, for people who love numbers because I just uh, do not. I do not, not in the least. Oh my goodness. Amazing. Now, I first came across you, when was it? It was actually, it was in December. So, you know, we're recording at the end of March now, which is insane. But it was a couple months ago at Rise Up 2019, which is in Toronto. It's Catholic Christian Outreach's annual conference. And you were hosting the women's version of the vocation discernment brunch, mm-hmm. which is so beautiful for me to just be in that room because there were other young women who were at different stages of their journey. You were doing an amazing job emceeing. It was so beautiful to listen to you speak, to hear your vocation story, and also to just be in the presence of so many religious women who are you know, so mm-hmm. on fire. They're so joyful from all of these communities, some communities that I've never even heard of before. And of course, there are some communities that I was quite close to. So it was just such a joy and a privilege to be there. You were sharing your own vocation story there. And it was quite an interesting one. It really captivated me. And it also opened my eyes and my heart to a vocation that I knew very, very minimally about. Mm -hmm. And I'm dancing around it just because I'm going to leave it to you, (laughs) Erin, to share. (laughs) But I was wondering if you could share that story with us. Yeah, for sure. In terms of vocation for me, leaving off from this experience of conversion or reversion, like having this encounter with the Lord, after that happened, I was so excited and pumped for everything to do with God that I probably should have been locked up for about six months because I was like just so zealous for everything. But part of that was thinking like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful having this relationship with the Lord. What should I do? I should be a nun for sure. Like this is totally what I should do. And so I eventually ended up visiting the Sisters of Our Lady Immaculate. There's these beautiful sisters in Cambridge, Ontario. Highly recommend. Everybody should look them up. They have a nursing home that they run and then they also do education and evangelization with young people. So I went to visit them for about a week and it was the most beautiful experience. And I still knew kind of very little of the day-to-day living of what it means to be a Catholic or Christian. And definitely, especially about religious life, like about praying, what is the liturgy of the hours? What does the schedule look like? What do you do? How do you live? But the week was really beautiful. And for me, it felt a little bit like coming home in a sense. Like I just felt very comfortable there. But after I left, I also kind of realized that, okay, well, maybe I should give myself a little bit of time because this is a new experience for me. 
just being in relationship with the Lord. And shortly after that, my family moved to Ottawa. So I started working as the youth minister there. And then there was one day when I was coming out of the Adoration Chapel and there was a sister who was going into the Adoration Chapel. So I was talking with her for a few minutes and she invited me to come for supper. And and so I ended up going for supper and their community is really beautiful. And they have definite charisms for evangelization and for work with young people and things like that. And I know that that is something that really sets my heart on fire. So I went on a discernment retreat with them and I was there for about a week. And one of the meditations that the sister gave me was just to pray with the passion. And so when I did that, I had this really kind of intense experience of being with the Lord and his passion. And when I was kind of relating it to her afterwards, she asked the question, what would it look like if Jesus proposed to you? And so as soon as she said that, I kind of had this image in my heart of the Lord on the cross and him saying to me, this is my proposal for you. And it was very clear. And so because that was one of their charisms was a real closeness to the cross, I took that at the time as kind of a sign that, yes, this is good to to join this community. And it was a really beautiful year. So I was there for about a year and a half. And there were so many beautiful things that came out of that. So I had a new, I guess, sense of prayer because we prayed every day for an hour of personal prayer, plus doing the Liturgy of the Hours, plus daily Mass, plus communal formation and other things. So my prayer life grew by leaps and bounds in having that consistency. And I began to hear the Lord speak in a much more defined way Mm. in my heart. And then also to be able to see, like I'll talk with the students now sometimes about prayer and talking about how you can't pray at all times unless you pray at one time. And Mm. in that sense, it's like talking about Paul when he says to pray at all times. It's like, When we have that set aside time of prayer to really start to hear what the Lord's voice sounds like in our own hearts, that can help us to recognize when he's speaking throughout the day, when we're not in that specific time of prayer, right? Because it's like you recognize like the timber and the tone of his voice in your own heart. And that way, when he speaks, when you're in the midst of doing something, then you can like recognize that and respond to it. So for me, that was what the experience was like, is just like recognizing the voice of my Lord. And then the second year that I was there, it was actually really painful. And there were a lot of like, I won't go into the all of the details, but, but it was a very difficult year. And I ended up leaving that community. And it was kind of a painful separation. And I left with a lot of wounds that were really questioning my own worth and my own ability to be loved and my own, I guess, being like who who am i to you lord like what do you want me to to do who do you want me to be for you so when i left there i kind of put aside this talking about religious life or thinking about religious life because like i looked at it as kind of like okay well obviously this is not it so i was kind of open to everything like dating but i never really dated anybody and i recognized over the course of time like over the course of a few years that i had this healing in my heart that the lord had to take on and i always felt like there was kind of this veil between us or this chasm between us in some way. And there's the the scripture passage, your walls are ever before me. And that came up all the time, but not as like a, not as any kind of condemnation from the Lord, but it was such a comfort. And like the Lord was saying like, yes, there's something that needs to be healed in your heart, but I'm working on it. So don't worry. 
And so I ended up looking more at, you know, the vocation of marriage and seeing like, should I be looking more at this? Or should I be looking at religious life again? Because I still had some desire for that. There was one retreat that I went on with the Sisters of Life in Toronto. <laughs> They're so beautiful. Of course, most people know the Sisters of yes. Life. Again, highly recommend check out their <laughs> community. But I went on this retreat with them. And one of the sisters in the opening talk said, sometimes we just don't ask the Lord for what we need because we're afraid that he won't give it or that he will say no or something like that. But we need to have that kind of beautiful trust in him that we can ask him for what we need. So ask him for what you need this weekend. So at that very first prayer time in the evening, I asked him, I said, Lord, I want to know your love in the depths of my bones. And it was such an honest prayer. And he did it. <laughs> like it was like he took that veil or that space that had been between us and kind of ripped it in two. And there was this restored intimacy that I had experienced before, but that had been really wounded by the way I saw myself and my ability to kind of receive that love from him. After that happened, I had this like a real renewal in a sense of discerning religious life or feeling like, like I was created to belong to him alone. And so I talked with my spiritual director about that. And so he said, okay, well, why don't you maybe talk to some religious communities, go on some come and sees, things like that. So I did that, but I went with the Sisters of Life and did a, had a come and see with them. But, but talking to their vocations director, his sister Antoniana, she was, she was their <laughs> vocations director at the time. She's so beautiful. So shout yes. out Sister Antoniana if you ever yes. listen to this. <laughs> oh, you know what? I actually, really quickly, I did interview oh. her. Um, oh, yeah. for the podcast so I saw that we will link it in the episode description but anyway back to your Amazing. story she yes, is beautiful yeah. oh. she is beautiful yeah and so at the time when I was talking to her it was her kind of decision of course in consultation with you know community whatever but that I didn't have a call to their community and that was so painful to hear at the time and even from some other communities, like there were things that were happening, like one was in between vocations directors and another one, we couldn't make it work for a visit. So all of these things were happening. And I felt in my heart kind of like, Lord, I feel like you're calling me to you, but you're saying no at every turn. Like mm -hmm. I'm trying to give myself to you and it's like you don't want me. And it was so painful. Like it was so painful to kind of feel that inner conflict. And so my spiritual director was like, okay, listen, so the Lord is shutting these doors. And, and also I have some like health concerns that are not really major things, but they're enough that it might be hard to join, you know, a religious community or so it was like, okay, I'm going to shut that door for now. And so he said, what I want you to do is I want you to put on some makeup, dress nice. <laughs> it was like, so I'm like, I feel so weird, father, like that you're saying this to me. <laughs> He's like an Opus Dei priest telling me oh. to get fancy. So he said, think of an event or something that happens regularly where there are young adult men who are around your age, who are, you know, solid in their faith and go and just be Aaron and see what happens. Be open to that. Have conversations with people. I'm like, okay, Father, no problem. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go to the source. So this is an ad adoration mm -hmm. thing that the Sisters of Life do, but it's young adults. There's, I know from going before, there's lots of guys kind of my age who are single and obviously they're there adoring the Lord and the blessed sacrament. So yes. probably they're fairly solid That's in their faith. <laughs> yeah, a good place, you know? So, so I went there and like for two months in a row, I 
put my contacts in. I did some makeup and I never wear makeup just to clarify with anybody who's listening to this. Like for me, I had to physically go to the store and buy some makeup (laughs) because I don't have any. And also just to clarify, I don't think that my spiritual director was saying you need makeup to be attractive to other people at all. But he was saying like, just so you're, you know, that you are making the effort to be open to this. So I went there, I did that for two months in a row. And I kid you not, there was not one single eligible man, my age at either of those sources, which is like, not, I mean, that had never happened before. So I was like, okay, Lord, like I, what, what are you saying in this? And also through that time, I kind of was still praying about things and, and that desire in my heart to belong to him only instead of kind of going away. Like I was praying for him to just refine that desire. And instead of kind of diminishing or morphing into something different that lent itself towards marriage, it was actually growing more strongly to belonging to him alone, knowing that I'm his and that I need to give my heart fully and only to him. So that kind of grew a lot also in that time. And so then I was like, okay, so I'm going to just close the door on this marriage thing and see what this belonging to you means then for me. And I'm telling you the next source that I went to, which was the month after every single eligible Catholic guy was there again. (laughs) Could you be more obvious? Like, okay, great. That's amazing. Yeah. And so after that time, that desire was still increasing and I knew about consecrated virginity. So there's this vocation that's ancient in the church, but newer since the Second Vatican Council in terms of women who are receiving the consecration. And I had heard about this because I went to a consecration of a friend of mine who works in youth ministry, who became a consecrated virgin in the Archdiocese of Toronto. But at the time I went there, I was like, oh, this is the worst vocation in the entire world. Like, you don't even have a religious community to be part of. So like, nobody's going to like look after you when you're 80 and you need diapers, you know, you're on your own. And you have no husband to kill the bugs in the house. Like, (laughs) you know, so so I was like, this is the worst. But once I had kind of, like, it seemed like the Lord had shut that door on religious life and he had kind of shut that door on marriage for me, which I think was also a gift from him because he knows that I need that kind of certainty in a sense. So in order to be able to look at this vocation authentically and, and realistically, he knew that I needed to know that I had looked well at the other vocations in order to be able to shut those doors firmly in a way that I wouldn't second guess myself in the future. Like if I become a consecrated virgin, then, you know, oh, but what if I should have done this or should have done this? So he's very merciful with me in that way. And so then I started looking at consecrated virginity. I talked to Cardinal Collins here in Toronto and he said, oh, well, that sounds like consecrated virginity. So maybe you should talk to to Bishop Boissonneau. And so for, for consecrated virginity, in every diocese, there's a bishop. If it's not, you know, the one bishop of the diocese or the cardinal, then there's one bishop who's kind of been designated as the person responsible for consecrated virgins in the diocese. So I spoke with him and he said, yeah, it sounds like there's something to look into here. So I started doing some formation with a woman in the diocese who's been a consecrated virgin for a number of years. And, and through that, it was like seeing how the Lord created me to love and to be and the things that I find joy in and peace are all like they were all kind of revealed in this vocation in a way that was like kind of a key in a lock um yeah and so I did consecration for or I did um 
uh, like preparation and, and formations and discernments for about three years. And then this past fall, I received the consecration on September 14th. So here's fun facts about that. If you remember when I was talking to the sister and I had that image of the Lord proposing to me, like what that would look like yeah. um, and him saying, this is my proposal for you, like him on the cross. My consecration day was actually September 14th, which is the feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. And it's also what? my, I know, right? I know. So good. And it's also my baptism day. I was baptized on September 14th. And because a vocation is a deepening of your baptism, yeah. that also like those things lined up with that. Like, okay, Lord, thank you. Like, wow. it's just it's so merciful with that kind of affirmation or certainty, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And the other cool thing was Sister Antoniana, who kind of was one of the people who had said like, nope, you're not called to this community. She was actually at my consecration because she, she just became the superior for their Toronto community. So she was able to be at my consecration. And so the person who, like one of the people who had been instrumental in helping me to find my way into this consecration was able to be there with me too. And Sister John Mary, who's the local superior here for a number of years, um, was also able to be there. And yeah, so it was just like uh, so grateful. It was really beautiful. Wow. Praise Mm -hmm. God. And thank you. Just hearing that all over again, and I'm sure, you know, during that, uh, discernment brunch there there's a time aspect to it where it's like you may have had to leave some parts out yeah. so I just feel like you're yeah. hearing it all over again hearing all of these extra nuances and just towards the end there like the fact that everything just lined up yeah um, totally and just how God's timing is always perfect mm-hmm. is so incredible and I'm just like mm-hmm. I had goosebumps all throughout and I'm glad that the video quality isn't good enough to see that I'm just like oh my gosh like <laughs> Holy moly. Wow. Yeah. 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 It always amazes me how merciful the Lord is and how good he is and how, like how well he knows us, you know, like that he knows me better than I know myself. And so he provides all of these things that I don't even know that I need in order to, to really be certain about this vocation and even certainty in being able to say, like, I remember at one point when I was kind of getting closer to being able to say like, yes, this is, I feel like very confident that this is the vocation the Lord has brought me into, um, of having a, like saying to him, like, I can't, like, do I need to know for certain? Like, what does that look like? Are you going to come down? And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have this theophany and you're going to reveal yourself. And then you're going to say, yes, you are a consecrated version. But it was almost a sense of like, um, of like him saying like, think to the end of your life and ask yourself the question, if I do this, like, will I get to the end of my life and be sad that I made this decision or be sorry that I made this decision? And I can honestly say that I think there's a part of that in every vocation, like in marriage, you know, if you go into a marriage with somebody, you can't say for certain, there's always some kind of inherent uncertainty in it. Whether you find something out about that person later after you've married them that you didn't know before, or like the struggles and the fights that will come up, like there's always some kind of uncertainty about what the future will hold with any vocation. But I could say with a certainty that I think I can get to the end of my life and not be sorry that I chose this. Like, I won't be sorry that I said yes to this gift that the Lord has given me. And so that was a beautiful thing to recognize, I think. 
For sure. I love what you said earlier about how when you went to go to your friend's consecration, Mm -hmm. how you had that thought about, oh, this is the worst (laughs) vocation (laughs) because of the two, the two extremes where it's like, you know, you don't have a husband to squash the bugs. You don't have a community to help you when you're older. How do you feel about it now that it's been, you know, maybe almost half a year into it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a really good question. And like, I think that one of the things that I can share is that all of these questions or all of these doubts or fears are I think similar to any vocation when you're discerning it so even at that retreat that I had gone to with the sisters of life the come and see they talked about bringing your fears to the Lord so that he can speak to those fears with respect to religious life or whatever it is but that was definitely true for me even with this vocation of bringing those fears to the Lord like okay Lord how do I know I'm not going to be living under a bridge when I'm 85 because for consecrated virginity you're responsible for generating your own financial support so you have to have a job you have to provide for your future you have to do all of those things and that has a lot of uncertainty in it so one of the things that I had to bring to the Lord was like this fear of being abandoned, that he would somehow let me down in the future. Mm. He was able to kind of speak to me about those assurances and show me even through all the things that he was providing for me at the time, like what his providence looked like. And that sometimes the idea of what I need is different from the idea from his knowledge of what I need. So also being able to trust that. So like all of those doubts or fears that I brought to him and he kind of like put a nail in the coffin every time of just killing those things or showing me what the truth is about those things. So that was really helpful. And then in this first, you know, half a year of consecrated virginity, I also feel like it's something that I'm still, like, it's not something like all of those fears were dealt with and then I'll never think about them again, but it's also this ongoing submission of any worries or any fears or any challenges or things like that to him. Because in a way, I feel like that first year of marriage where or the first few years of marriage, like a married couple, they get married, they move in together. And I talked to some married friends of mine and they say, it's totally like that. Like you move in and then all of a sudden you recognize these things about this person, like that you already know very well that you've you know given yourself fully to and all of those kind of things, but there's still a learning curve. Yeah. So I feel like that's also happening for me too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Just figuring out like, okay, Lord, I'm now confirmed by the church in this vocation of who I am in you and who I'm to be for others. Mm -hmm. So what does that actually look like in my daily life, in um, my relationships with people, in what that represents for the church? So I'm, I'm still kind of learning all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because there probably are so many misconceptions about something like consecrated virginity. I know that I Mm -hmm. myself, until you have illuminated so much of the path for me that Otherwise, like I felt like I would have not known. So maybe what are some things that you want to tell women about this vocation? Yeah, so kind of the background of it is in the early church, there were women who felt the call to be set aside by the Lord for service of the church and others. So essentially to remain in this state of virginity and to belong to the Lord and to have their lives laid down in service for the church. So they generally lived with their families at the time, but then once the monastic orders and like religious orders of women started to rise up in the church. This vocation of consecrated virginity gradually went into disuse. And there were some orders of contemplative sisters who retained this consecration of virgins mm-hmm. kind of within, within the order themselves. But aside from that, it wasn't really used outside of that. And so after the Second Vatican Council, 
there was this decree that was promulgated again about the consecration of virgins living in the world. So there were two that were promulgated. So one is consecration of virgins living in the world, and one is the consecration of virgins in religious life. So in like these kind of monastic communities. A consecration of virgins living in the world is essentially a revival of the earliest form of consecrated life in the church. In recent years, it's really interesting to see that since that time, in the Archdiocese of Toronto, for example, there were, I think, eight women, nine women, including me, who've been consecrated since 1980. Wow. I think that's approximately the year, but I'm sorry if somebody's listening to this and that's wrong. But just in the last couple of years, in the last two or three years, there have been that many women, like at least eight or nine women who've come forward and are have talked to Bishop Wassenau about this. And there are a number that are in formation and things like that. So because there was, I think, so many women, like it says this in the document, but there were so many women from around the world who were kind of coming forward to their bishops and being like, hey, I feel like this is a thing. Like, I feel like I want to belong to the Lord, but I don't feel like it's in a religious community. So what does that mean? Or what does that mm. look like? Or what is this consecrated virginity thing? And could that be what I'm called to? So many women were coming forward and asking that, that the bishops were going to Rome and being like, hey, hello, we don't know what to do with all these women who are talking about this. And because there's been such an increase in that, Rome put out a document called Ecclesiae Sponsae Mago, which is this beautiful document about the history of consecrated virginity and about the theology of consecrated virginity and about the norms for formation and what that should look like for women and about ongoing support from their dioceses and what that's like. So I would encourage anybody who is looking at consecrated virginity and wants to know more to read that document for sure. It's actually an instruction. Yeah, so it's not like a, an apostolic exhortation or anything like that. So it has a lot of practical stuff in it too. But essentially, a consecrated virgin is considered a, a religious woman, so a woman religious. So in the same way that a sister in a religious community is considered a bride of Christ, mm -hmm. so the consecrated virgin is considered a bride of Christ as well. And the actual, the name of this document, Ecclesiae Sponsae Imago, is roughly translates as the image of the church as bride. So in a particular way, the consecrated virgin images the church as the bride of Christ. And it's a bodily being. So it's not really about what you do, but it's more about having this gift, this charism from God, this call to perpetual celibacy, to perpetual virginity that sets the person aside. And in a sense, there's kind of two calls that come out of that. So one is this eschatological nature. So in the same way that religious life is a marriage to the Lord or is a sacrifice of human marriage, it points to what will happen with all of us in eternity, which is this marriage with God. So the marriage of our soul with God. And so then in the same way, consecrated virginity does that. So it images this eternal call that we are all called to and the, what we will experience in heaven. So it's a foreshadowing. It's a living of the experience, the nature of heaven here on earth in human forms. It's a reminder. It's a visual gift to the whole church to remind us of what we're called to in eternity. And then also it's a call now to an intimate relationship with the Lord. So not just something about the future, but it's also in the person of the consecrated virgin because the vocation is one about prayer and penance, right? So that's what I'm called to is prayer and penance in this intimate marriage relationship with the Lord in a sense. So it can reveal to people that every single person is called to this intimate relationship with the Lord that informs every aspect of their entire being. So it's kind of prophetic in those two senses.
And when you talk about the fact that it points to this ultimate reality that we're called to, whether at the end of our life or when God calls us all home, just the fact that our souls are united to him and the fact that you're living this essentially heaven on earth here mm-hmm. and now is so remarkable. And, and what a blessing to be called to something like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a real gift. And I think it, it's good to also even talk about the distinction from religious life itself. And so I think that's one of the things where consecrated virginity, because the woman is an image of the church as bride of Christ, I can go different places than a woman religious can go, right? right. Like I'm working a normal job and there is a consecrated virgin I know who is a psychiatrist. There's some who work in ministry. There's some who work in other jobs or doctors, like all kinds of different things. And so that's not possible in religious life in the same way. And so this also images the church because the church is called to go out in every sphere of life, into every strata of of human existence, and to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father for his people and the possibility of redemption and eternal life. So the church is called to do that in every sphere. So I think that's a way in particular that consecrated virginity is called to image that relationship with God and the being of the church to people. Oh, certainly. And of course, it's, you know, thinking about the feminine genius and how this all ties together. I love that you brought that part up just because, you know, regardless of what our call is, regardless of what our vocation is, we all have that universal call to mission and holiness mm-hmm. and to be sent out in whatever mission field that we find ourselves in or whatever talents that God has given us. And for you personally, like through your discernment journey, the fact that you've landed here in this vocation of consecrated virginity. And even thinking back too on, you know, your experience in science, how you had that interest, you wanted to go and be a super awesome virologist. (laughs) How have you seen your feminine genius grow throughout these major checkpoints in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it's a beautiful gift of spiritual motherhood that I experienced, you know. So looking at looking at even this gift of motherhood and the beauty of nurture and the beauty of receptivity and the beauty of what it means to have the tenderness of god so if you look at god without without gender right like yes we call god father and i'm in no way like putting that down or something like that so please hear me correctly on that but god does have like he's neither male nor female, right? So we can see this beautiful fatherhood in him, particularly in, you know, the relationality that he has with Jesus and what that means for guiding and protecting and all of those things. But then also the Old Testament speaks about God in his tenderness and in sheltering and in, you know, carrying us in his hands and his gentle caress. All of these kind of things, you know? And so I think that in being able to image the tenderness, like, this gentle care of God too is such a beautiful thing that I've experienced in a lot of women experience it in actual physical motherhood, right? With their children and, um, and having that heart that is open to receive their children and to be able to love them with that tenderness of God. But then what I've experienced is that in a spiritual motherhood, anybody that God has entrusted to me to care for. So the students that I serve, my family, anybody else is like, looking at reverencing the human person in such a way that when I encounter them, that they're encountering that mercy, that tenderness, that beauty of God, which is a real gift to be able to participate in. Aaron, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.
You're so welcome. It's been a gift for me too. I think it's a gift always when you get to share what the Lord has done in your life because it reminds you of what the Lord has done in your life. Many thanks again to Aaron Kinsella for joining me on the podcast today. When Erin and I were first chatting and getting ready to do this interview, she sent over a wonderful document from the Vatican about consecrated virginity. So I've left that in the show notes as well so that you yourself can take a read through and also learn a little bit more about that vocation. Like last week, I was super, super excited about this episode and interview and I got very carried away and I forgot to lead us in a closing prayer. So I will do that right now with all of you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, thank you so much for Erin. Thank you for her witness and her testimony and for providing us some insight into what it means to pursue you, to pursue you well, and what it means to really be a bride of Christ and to image your love for each of us in the world. Help us to discern well when it comes to pursuing our vocation Help to rid us of our anxieties and our fears that we can't do it right or we don't know what we're doing. And help to guide us and remind us that you are always with us every single step of the way. We are never forsaken and we are never abandoned by you. And this we ask in your most holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, I cannot thank Aaron enough for joining me on the show. And of course... I would love it if you continue to follow the Feminine Genius Podcast so you can listen to the show wherever you find your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, the whole nine yards. And you can follow us on social media. We are at FemGeniusPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And all the show notes, information about the show can be found on our home on the web, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We will talk to you soon, and God bless always.